Today's teaching text comes from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 1 through 24. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the other parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pentecost for us is a movable feast. And in the simplest terms, it is a movable feast because uh, the day that it is celebrated moves every year based on whenever Easter falls. Um, but also, uh, when the Holy Spirit came and, and filled those first lives during this Pentecost account that we see in Acts 2, a whole new way of living was born in the world. And, and the overflow of the life of this newly formed church was very much also a movable feast. Um, many of you will be familiar with the words that we find at the end of Acts 2, where it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. 
Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Right, the, this vision of life is quite inspiring, um, uh, but it is very much a movable feast. The love and power of God in, in, the, in the midst, in the center, in the heart of His people. Their kindness and generosity sort of breaking out all over the city, in the temple, in their homes, and on the streets. Now we know Hemingway borrowed this term, a movable feast, for his, his memoir of his party life and writing life in Paris. But during the next five weeks, uh, we're going to take it back uh, as a church. Um, we're, we're going to use this time uh, where, where our gathering has been shifted significantly um, to look at what it means to be a movable feast. Of course, the church hasn't closed. Um, we've just moved the feast for a while uh, out of love for, uh, for our neighbor, for our city, for our world. So where the church receives communion might change, uh, how, we, how we hear the nourishing word of the scriptures of the Holy Spirit might change, um, how and where we, we, we love our neighbor or feed the poor, that, that, might, that might change. The feast moves, but the Holy Spirit is in the center. The Holy Spirit is empowering. The Holy Spirit is giving us life, lifting up Jesus in our lives, in our midst. So we're going to look today again back at the first Pentecost. We're celebrating Pentecost Sunday today. This first Pentecost after resurrection, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, when the church was born. So our text begins, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Now, for the people who were gathered in Jerusalem in the first century for, for this festival, uh, they had come for, obviously, the celebration of Pentecost, same, same as, as we are celebrating today, um, which means the 50th day after Passover. And two primary things were being celebrated, were being prayed for uh, during the Pentecost festival. The first was, it was the, the, the celebration of the first fruits of the harvest. So they brought in the first sheaves of, of the harvest of that year, and they celebrated these first signs, and they also prayed that God would bring in the rest, that there would be an abundant and good nourishing harvest. So that was the first thing that was celebrated at Pentecost. The second was that uh, they remembered God giving Moses the law, God giving his people a new way of life. They remember, right, that um, honored the time when 50 days after the Israelites were, were spared from death and released from slavery in Egypt, they came to Mount Sinai and Moses was given the law by God. What was the law all about, right? This is uh, the, the, the words of God for his people to remake them in their culture, in their identity, in their understanding of themselves and God from a people of slavery to the people of Yahweh, to the people of God who could fully walk into their promised new life, honoring God, honoring one another. This is how you live as the people of God. So needless to say, Pentecost is quite a symbolic day for the Holy Spirit to pour out the first fruits of of salvation and the beginning of a new way of life. So right into the middle of this centuries-old celebration, something new begins to break out. And the word that grabs our attention in the text is the word suddenly. Acts 2 verse 2, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. 
they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The followers of Jesus have been praying, they've been waiting, they've been longing, they've been, they, they hung on the instructions that Jesus had given them, that they were going to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, but they had no idea how that was going to happen, right? And they gathered together as this small, untrained, unready, in so many ways, community. They've been praying, waiting, longing. And then suddenly something new begins to happen among them. The first thing that we see is the place is filled and the people are filled. And some, somehow, even as they're describing what's happening, it, it transcends language. It's like there was the, violent, the, the blowing of a violent wind. There was a, a picture somehow of like fire. And it even says in the text, what seemed to be tongues of fire. Basically, like what we're experiencing is beyond our ability to actually describe. It transcends language, and yet it is, it is profound. And so I, I want to hold our attention for just a moment, just on the most basic reality of what happens here. The place is filled, and the people are filled. I I want you to know we can be confident that the Holy Spirit still works like this. The Holy Spirit fills people. This is really significant, especially if you pay attention to how God's been working in the whole arc of redemptive history and the story of Israel and the Hebrew scriptures, right? The Holy Spirit here isn't just resting on people to inspire certain actions or, or for temporary moments. We've seen that over and over again in the Hebrew scriptures. The Holy Spirit is filling these people with the life of God, the life of God in the soul of a human being. We're going to say a bit more about why that's happening in a second. So the Holy Spirit fills people. I also don't want us to miss the Holy Spirit fills places. The room where they are gathering, where they have been praying, is also filled. They've been waiting for God in this place, and God comes to meet them there. And I want you to notice this. This was important for my heart um, you know, this week as I was preparing, right? There's been moments where I felt really down in this quarantine, in this pandemic moment, because there are certain places that I used to be able to go, certain places that I used to be able to, in a sense, count on, places that I have met with God, right, that I can't go right right now. And there's a real loss to that. There's a real uh, there's a real pain in that. We we of course we miss the people, we miss our church family, we miss those other human beings who are filled with the Holy Spirit. But we can also very much miss places, miss places that God has, has, has filled in the past and we long for God to fill in the future. But I take so much comfort and courage from, from the reality of this Pentecost story that uh, God uh, wants to know us in this way, wants to fill our lives, wants to fill our homes, wants to fill our prayer closets, wants to fill our middle school auditoriums or some alternative space that we may have to meet, whatever. God wants to fill our lives. God wants to know us deeply. We have this profoundly relational God whose entire arc of redemptive history has been to come and dwell in the very center of our lives and in the center of our community, in the center of our world. So, the place is filled, the people are filled, but I also want you to, to pay some attention to the exact nature of the miracle that happens uh, as soon as the Spirit comes. And, and for our purposes today, we're going to call it the miracle of words again. Um, if, you, if you look at the scriptures, when Yahweh first moves in creation in Genesis, uh, how does God begin? 
by speaking. Uh, And then later, when Jesus shows up as the fulfillment of Israel's story to be the Savior of the world, how does the Gospel of John describe that he comes? As the Word made flesh, the speaking voice of God embodied in a human life fully. After the victory and ascension of Jesus, when the Holy Spirit comes to apply what Jesus has done to to those who believe, to, to, to the world, what's the first sign? Words. They they speak and new life begins. This new creation is carried forward. At each crucial moment of creation and new creation, the speaking voice, the words of God are crucial and central and important and powerful. Quite quite honestly, when when I've read Pentecost, uh, the Pentecost account in the past, there have been times where I thought, why is this the the first miracle? Why is this the first uh, sign? It it, it honestly seems a little bit strange that this is the thing that happens, right? Even the witnesses who saw it thought it was strange. They're like, these people are drunk, right? Um, If you've been tracking with Jesus' life and ministry, right? You've read the Gospels, you you know, or, or, or you walked with him, all the miracles he did. And you said, okay, now a group of people are going to be filled with the spirit that filled Jesus' life and ministry. What would you expect to be the first sort of outflow or expression of the filling of that spirit? All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to heal, uh, feed, feed, feed the hungry, maybe even so dramatic as to raise the dead, to offer forgiveness, um, to welcome in, in the other. But in fact, they are going to do all of those things, but they begin with speech. This is maybe surprising, but it is, uh, if it is a surprising first act of repair, it is also an incredibly powerful one. The speech of God has been crucial at each turn of creation and new creation. We are always going to be people of the word. Um, But also, in one of the most bizarre chapters in all of Scripture, uh, we see one of the last and and most devastating results of the fall is is recorded in Genesis 11, right? You'll remember that's where we find the story of the Tower of Babel. Uh, In in Genesis 12, so Tower of Babel in Genesis 11, in Genesis 12, that's where God calls Abraham and begins in earnest a covenant love way of repairing the world. And... In Genesis 11, though, we have this strange story where people are trying to make a society without God. They're trying to, to, to bring themselves, in a sense, to heaven on their own strength. Um, it's, it's an outflow of the brokenness that we see in the first garden. And the results of it are that the people are broken apart at this foundational cultural way. Their language is divided. And it's profound this happens as sort of the last big move of the brokenness of the fall in Genesis 11 before God begins this move of covenant love in Genesis 12 by calling Abraham. But the climax of that in the person of Jesus and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2, the first miracle as the Spirit is poured out is, is the healing of this division. Everyone hears the word of God. Everyone hears the wonders of God as it's said in the text in their own language. This is the undoing of Babel. Uh, It is the speech of God beginning to advance this new creation. The victory of Jesus applied by the power of the Holy Spirit speaks a better word. The victory of Jesus applied by the power of the Holy Spirit speaks a better word. Luke is specific uh, to mention, right? It's a tough 
Tough teaching text, right, to read because there's so many uh, strange uh, cities to pronounce. Luke is specific to mention that people from all over the map heard the wonders of God in their own tongues. The first words of the new church reached across age-old dividing lines and began to, to make a new humanity. The reason why all those different people from all over the map are mentioned is because the first words that are they're pouring out as the Holy Spirit has been poured out are reaching across these age-old dividing lines and, and bringing them in, making a new humanity. I think that's so important. Maybe not, maybe not a way that we think about Pentecost uh, year after year, but really profound. If we pay attention to our world right now, I think most of us would agree we are also deeply in need of the voice of God to reach across our dividing lines with healing and repairing love. And I want to say it is going to have to begin with many of us who are filled with the Spirit of God by by the grace of God, by the accomplishments of Jesus, but it's going to have to begin with us, right? Many of us are separated in our homes from our loved ones. We have, we have lost loved ones or we have... Um, uh, others have lost jobs and are filled with, with anxiety and, and, and uncertainty. But at the same time, right, other people in our nation who have been less affected are acting out right as if the, as if the virus is some just political tool or, or, or that our personal expression of, of perceived individual freedom is the thing that should be paramount, right? So even this, this pandemic, this virus has, has become in our, in our culture a source of division, right? And then the headlines this week, the tragedy again, uh, our, our deep sin as a nation continue to reverberate in horror, right? Yet another uh, black man was killed in police custody this week as as we saw in in horror the officers kneeling on the neck of, of George Floyd as he cried out that he couldn't breathe. Minneapolis as a city right now is crying out. Our nation is crying out. We know we're in an election year. We, uh, we, we have this pandemic. Uh, our divisions are profound. Uh, our divisions are painful. They don't seem to be going away with ease. And I want to say, right, the church is never going to be perfectly aligned with our national politics on either side. Our first allegiance is to God and His kingdom, is to the way of Jesus. But there is no denying our, our world is in need of a deep movement, of a unifying healing and I, I believe that the Holy Spirit is going to have to empower that. And I believe that it is going to have to, in real ways, begin uh, in the church and those who, who call on the name of Jesus, who are filled uh, with the spirit of peace, uh, that we, we could be those who are, even in our own midst, maintaining the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. I do find some, uh, some encouragement, right, when we go to the, the New Testament, you can't read these stories, you can't read the New Testament without seeing how often one of the most powerful miracles being worked out among the Jesus community is that people from all walks of life were being brought into the same family, were being brought to the same table, men and women, Jews and Gentiles, and they did not associate with one another. The rich and the poor from all over, right, from, from cities in Asia, from, from, from Rome, they're coming to the same table in love as a new community, and it all begins at Pentecost. 
The new community is an outpost of the kingdom of God. Even in places where our wider world is divided, is in deep need of healing, the church is meant to be a picture of another way. It must begin with us, right? It is a way of life not based on achievement, not based on accomplishment, not based on outward evaluation of one another, but based on Jesus' victory and mercy. It is based on the unity in diversity that we even find in the very nature of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It is based on the death and resurrection of Jesus to create a new world. One of my favorite summaries of this reality comes later in the New Testament in, in 2 Corinthians 5. This will be familiar to many of you, but th- this is a summary of what the outpost of the kingdom looks like. Starting in verse 16, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, right? We pause for just a second there. We used to evaluate one another, right? By skin color, by nationality, by, by being rich or poor, by our wealth, by our achievement, by whatever struggles we happen to deal with. We no longer regard one another from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way. Look at how people evaluated Jesus in, in, in his ministry at several different points. Oh, how he's from Nazareth. How can he do anything good? Don't we know who this man's parents are? are they were astounded that he had no training and yet he spoke with authority. We, we no longer regard one another from a worldly point of view. Even though we used to regard Christ in that way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So at Pentecost, we see the new creation beginning for people from all over the world. They hear this message of hope, this message of reconciliation in their own language. Holy Spirit, please come. Help us to speak and live the message of hope in Christ in a way our world can understand. May may, may this this dwell so richly in us, God, that as we speak, people are drawn in no matter what their divisions But even at this moment in our text, even as powerful as this encounter and expression is, some people misunderstand, right? They have no frame of reference whatsoever for what is happening. And we have to have some grace for them, right? These first disciples, these good Jewish boys and and, 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 uh, uh, men and women who had been following Jesus, they they had no frame of reference for Yahweh who shook the mountain, who gave the the, the law to Moses coming in in the form of a person. It was... Um, absolutely mind-bending for them to consider that. And then once they got their heads around that, now Jesus is gone. And then Yahweh is coming to them in the person of His Spirit. They had no frame of reference for it, even for those who are at the center. And so those who are just observing, they have, have nothing to pen this on. And so they go maybe to their closest comparison. They say, ah, these people are, are drunk, right? But Peter, a man who had been healed and repaired by the love of Christ very intentionally post-resurrection, from his calling all the way through his betrayal and then his sort of being his heart put back together uh, when when Jesus appears to him after after Easter, he stands up as maybe uh, the person who has the most chance of shedding some light on what has happened, whose life has been utter, we've seen it utterly transformed by the person of Jesus and now by the power of spirit, the, the Holy Spirit. Then Peter stood up with the eleven. 
raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Love that. Too early. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. A little later, he goes on to say, And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth, who was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you uh, through him. As you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. This phenomenon is happening. People are misunderstanding it. They're trying to attribute what's going on to the closest comparison they have. All these people must be intoxicated. Peter stands up as someone whose life has been changed. He says, no, 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 let me me help you see. Let me help you frame. Let me help you put in the narrative what's going on here. God has promised this feeling of the Holy Spirit was coming. Read the prophets. Joel mentioned this specifically, that the Spirit was gonna come and, 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 and fill God's people. Now it's here, and guess what? It's open to anyone. One. Secondly, it is directly connected to what Jesus has done. Has done. This is not just uh, you know a, 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 a standalone phenomenon of God displaying His power. It is right in step with the redemptive history God has been working from Abraham to Moses to Jesus coming to the accomplishment of Jesus on the cross and the resurrection. And out of the Easter story, out of the ascension, has come the power of the Holy Spirit. This is this is the coming of God's redemption. The filling of the Holy Spirit is something God has been promising and working towards for centuries. It is open to anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. It is the outworking of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension. I came across something, not surprising, uh, by N.T. Wright this week that I thought articulated this really well. Uh, I hope it's helpful for you. He says, the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost, in other words, is the complementary fact to the ascension of Jesus into heaven. The risen Jesus in heaven is the presence in God's sphere of the first part of earth to be transformed into new creation in which heaven and earth are joined. The pouring out of the Spirit on earth is the presence in our sphere of the sheer energy of heaven itself. The gift of the Spirit is thus the direct result of the ascension of Jesus. Because He is the Lord of all, His energy, power to be and do something quite new is available through the Spirit to all who call on Him, all who follow Him, all who trust Him. The plan of God from the beginning has been to to bring back what was breached, what was broken, what was damaged, what died in the garden in the fall to bring heaven and earth back together in communion with us in a healing of our world and a healing of our community he taught us to pray may your may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven so the holy spirit falls at pentecost and what is it it's the first fruits of the promise the holy spirit falls at pentecost and what is it it is the beginning of a whole new way of life a whole new way of being a human being the holy spirit falls at pentecost and people from all over the world are brought in 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 unity into the family of God. Holy Spirit, right? In the name and accomplishment of Jesus, please come and fall on us again. Fill our lives. Fill our homes. 
fill our streets, fill our nations, fill our mouths, fill our, our, our hearts. And when that happens, what on earth could we look for? How will we know, right? Well, this this account gives us some of it, but look how they lived. I'm going to give it to you one more time where we started. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to, to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What what poured out of their lives? What did they gather around and center around? This movable feast was centered around the presence of God. It was centered around uh, the message and the way of Jesus They were formed every day through these practices of following the way of Jesus together, this living out this new life, presence and formation and love. There was immense, overflowing, barrier-breaking, need-meeting love in their midst. Our our vision as a church centers around these things. We don't always look at Pentecost as a vision series for our church, but my question is, how do we live what was just described in this moment of our history, in this moment in time, when when, when we're still quarantined, when our our gathering together in person is, is limited? How on earth can we live out presence and formation and love? And that's what I want us to ask over the the next five weeks of this series beginning today is, is are we living in God's presence? Are we finding a way every day to delight in God's presence? Are we not doing that alone even if we are, 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 are quarantined or sheltering in place? What about formation? Are we figuring out uh, ways on a daily basis to practice the way of Jesus? Are we not doing that alone? Are we being formed to be like Christ? And are we living a life of love, even if it has to be uh, different and more creative and, and, and find other expressions than, than it did in, in life before, before this virus? We're going to spend this Pentecost season looking at how we can live out presence, formation, and love in our time, in this unique moment. Because I want to tell you this. I hope that your heart is lifted with encouragement. The same spirit that we see on the pages of Acts 2, that we hear in this account, the story of the church being born, the same spirit lives in us. He is alive. It is in the name of Jesus, on the accomplishments of Christ, that we can with confidence say, Come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit, fill your church. Make us ready to be that, that, that healing, redemptive barrier over, uh, overcoming people that moves out into the world in extravagant, incredible, unexpected love. And, and, and is, is still a part of the, the, the fruits of this salvation coming in the world. Come Holy Spirit. That's our Pentecost prayer. That's what we're going to look at. Let me pray for you. Holy Spirit, I just want to continue that. Come Holy Spirit, wherever this is being heard, fill your people. Heal our wounds. Break down our divisions. Give us imagination for life in a new way. God, may we come out of despair and we move towards holiness. God, may we, we vent our souls to you and offer you our, our pain and receive from you uh, peace and endurance and love. God, we need you so clearly right now. Come, Holy Spirit, and lead us, God. Lead us as a church, not to come up uh, with, with an expression of vision that is about our strength and our best ideas or our ability, God, but is entirely reliant upon you. May this truly be a Pentecost season where we are full of your life. In Jesus' name, 
Amen.